Any successful plan requires wisdom and preparation, and retirement is no different. It's time for the Plan Wise Retire Free Podcast. Welcome into another edition of Plan Wise Retire Free with Jude Wilson from Centrust Financial Strategies here with me once again to talk investing, finance, and retirement. And we have a special guest this week joining us on the show. Mr. Glenn Dorsey is joining us. And as you've listened to prior, prior podcast, uh, you know that Jude will take over at this point because he likes to do my job uh, and do the interviewing. So guys, welcome in. Thanks for your time. Jude, take it away, my friend. Mark, thank you so much. I'm just excited to be here for the opportunity to speak to a friend of mine, and we've developed a great relationship over the years, the Senior Portfolio Manager at Clark Capital, Glenn Dorsey. Uh, Glenn, I could say amazing, wonderful things about you, but I'm going to turn it over to you for a second to tell us a little bit about your background and Clark Capital. Sure. Uh, thank you, Jude. And thank you, Mark. Great to be here. Uh, so I started in the investment business in 1985. Um, most of my 37 years in the business, I was on the portfolio management end, working at some of the big old firms that aren't around anymore in New York City, uh, working with you know, managing mutual funds, multi-generational wealth accounts, things like that. Last 10 years or so, I'm, I'm uh, in the client portfolio management world, which means I'm not responsible for selecting the individual stocks and bonds anymore, but rather working with advisors such as yourself and clients trying to structure the overall portfolio allocation so that they're consistent with what clients' goals and objectives are. And then the ongoing reporting of what our economic outlook is, what our market outlook is, how have the accounts been doing, why do we need to make any changes? So that's sort of my background. I got my CFA designation in 1988 and my Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst designation in 2016. Clark Capital was founded in 1986. Uh, we are 100% family and employee-owned company. In fact, uh, all of our employees own stock in the company. So we always feel that owners work uh, differently than employees do. So everyone has skin in the game. Um, we manage approximately $30 billion in assets uh, with around just shy of 130 employees. Uh, so we've been on a really good growth trajectory and uh, it's been, been a great place. It's amazing. And here at our firm, because we're an independent financial advisor, uh, we have the capacity to deal with a number of different money managers. And years ago, I think it was about maybe five years ago, uh, Clark came on my radar screen. And after doing some due diligence, uh, flying to your headquarters in Philly, getting a chance to meet you, the management team, all the way down to so the analysts, uh, we decided that this was a great place for for some of our clients. And so, first of all, I want to thank you for doing such a great job over the last five years. It's been an amazing relationship. But today, in your capacity with us uh, in this podcast, I wanted uh, the people that listen to us to get a, a sense of what you are looking at with regards to what's going on in the market and the economy. Because, you know, sometimes if you turn on some of the uh, professional channels that talk about the market, they don't always do the best job explaining things. And some, there may be some biases there. So I wanted to talk directly to someone that doesn't have any bias and just going to shoot straight with us. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just get started asking you some questions. Absolutely. You know, I'm doing reviews with clients every day, and there's some uh, similarities in those reviews, some of the same concerns that comes across the number one concern that I'm hearing, and you may be hearing this too, is inflation. And you know, we've we've had inflationary periods before in our country, 
But can you explain to us why we're facing inflation for so long during this period of time? What may be actually causing inf the inflation and, and possibly when we might see some relief? That is a, a hot topic on all the conversations right now, and, and primarily because we really haven't seen inflation at these levels since the early 80s. Right? So we've gone through 11 different recessions post-World War II, so I wouldn't say that they're, uh, they're normal but they're a lot more normal than the inflation that we're seeing at this point. So what causes it? Pretty simply, too much demand relative to supply, right? So price is the intersection of supply and demand. And I think it, was, you know, it started really with the global pandemic, right? We saw the supply chain completely shut down. The Federal Reserve, uh, from a monetary policy, put the gas pedal all the way to the floor. They lowered the Fed funds rate to zero. They, were, they started a massive quantitative easing program where they're buying treasuries and mortgage-backed securities in the open marketplace. Ton of stimulus there. And then we had fiscal policy where the government was sending money out to people. So we had we basically dumped 10 gallons of gasoline on our bonfire. right? Yeah. And as the demand started to pick up, first we were at home and we couldn't do anything and everybody had all this money. So we were buying goods. Uh, people were buying everything. You couldn't get you couldn't get cars, you know, RVs, snowmobiles, anything that was fun, motorcycles, everything, mm -hmm. everything was out of stock. That sort of migrated as we've kind of emerged from COVID period where people are now going back to the experiences, right? We couldn't go out to eat, we couldn't go on vacation, so we just bought stuff. Right now it's kind of the other way where people are out, they're starting to travel. So you're seeing prices in hotel rooms and vacation spots go up, airlines, things like that. So demand really has bounced back pretty significantly. In fact, if you look at retail spending on the part of consumers, it's the highest it's ever been. Wow. At the same time, the supply chain is not fully back to normal yet. And as I said, it's, it was sort of frozen solid like an ice cube and it's in the process of melting, but it hasn't fully melted. So I like that analogy. Yeah. So, we, so we've seen some gigantic price increases uh, that in our opinion look like, you know, we probably saw the worst month of that in June. And we should start to see inflation start to come down a little bit because it's important to remember that inflation is not the price level. It's the rate of change of price increase. Right. So that's a if, great distinction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And so even if gasoline stayed right where it is right now and all these high prices stayed exactly where they are for the next year, inflation would be zero. Right. Now, that's not what our expectation is. Right. Right. But just to show you kind of the math basis of it, and, and what we saw is gasoline prices doubling. We saw house prices going up by 20%. So used car prices go up by 50%, right? All of those rates of change are now starting to moderate, right? Because they're unsustainable. Mm -hmm. and, and, th and that ultimately is what's going to start to drive the inflation levels down. Like I said, yeah, we saw, uh, well, we have a Federal Reserve decision today that we'll, uh, that we'll have announced. But even the Fed's raising rates to try to bring in demand and help rein in inflation. But you know, there's there's two more re inflation reports that will come out before their September meeting. We really start should start to see pretty significant progress there. If you look at a basket of commodities that you know, might include uh, gasoline, uh, wheat, uh, corn, soy, cattle, you know, sugar, coffee, all of those good things, they're down roughly 15, 20 percent from the peaks that we saw in, in June. So uh, inflation is going to start to head the right way. It's going to remain stubbornly high, but it's on its, on on the right in the right path, right going the right direction anyway. Now you made some great distinctions, and I think that will help a lot of people. Two things that you touched on that I, I want to go in just a little bit more uh, depth or clarity. 
some of our clients are asking, well, if companies are able to charge more due to inflation, what is going to force them to drop prices? Will they just keep the prices of goods and services at this level, even though the inflation rate may be dropping? That's a great question. And what typical, we, we say the best cure for high prices is high prices. And usually two things happen. One, you'll see more supply become available, right? If suddenly, you know, oil rigs in the United States basically disappear. We went from 890 to 170 during the pandemic because there was zero demand and oil prices collapsed. Now with oil closer to $100 a barrel, you're seeing supply come back online. So uh, you, you know, the rig count now, I think we're up to 765, right? So we're, we're steadily going back to that point where everybody's making money at this price level. So more and more supply becomes available. The second thing that happens, and sometimes this is quicker, is demand destruction. And, mm. and what I mean by that is people will use less of the good that's very expensive. Gasoline is a great example, right? So I filled up my gas tank a couple of weeks ago, it cost me $120 Woo. to fill my tank. Now, I'm not happy about it, but it's not going to change my, my lifestyle. Right. Um, it is affecting people if you're making minimum wage and, and don't have a lot of extra money. By the time you fill your gas tank and your, your grocery cart, you don't have much left to spend. Absolutely. Now, if this gas price is doubled again, and now it's cost me $240 to fill my gas tank, which is what would be required for gas to have the same impact on inflation, I may be changing my behavior too, because mm -hmm. that's just a big, that's just a big, ugly number. So demand destruction starts to happen. We're seeing passenger car miles uh, driven decline. Right? And, and so that we're seeing the beginning of that. And if you take that to the extreme, like we saw in the 70s, when energy was a far bigger percentage of consumer expenditures than it is today. In fact, it's about three times as, as impactful. People carpooled, right? Yeah, was, yeah. That's the ultimate demand destruction when you have right. four or five people in a car instead of one person in four or five cars. Right? Right. And, and that's ultimately what, what ends up bringing in and brings in inflation, you have more supply and less demand. Wow. You, you, you took me back to when I was a kid because I can remember my parents complaining and us developing a carpool uh, for all the kids to get to school. So inflation itself, the, the percentage that we see on television, that's not going to come down by just the sheer uh, willingness of companies to reduce the level of prices. It's going to come down based on what you call demand destruction. destruction. And I, I think I have not heard that discussed on any of the you know shows that our clients watching that I watch, but that just makes so much sense. It just goes back to regular supply and demand. Now, one other thing you touched on that I've heard from our clients also is that, well, Jude, I see these big, um, these tankers and these ships off the shores of California. So why is the supply chain still uh, the biggest issue I hear in inflation when all of the supplies are sitting off of, off of the shore? Can't we get them into the stores and and, and ha have an effect on inflation? Yeah, we, we've seen that log jam on the West Coast uh, start to ease up a little bit. One of the, one of the pro there were two main problems. One is there weren't wasn't enough dock workers to unload, and then there wasn't enough tractor trailer drivers to take it away from the port. So everything kind of just backed up. And 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 both of the, certainly on the truck drivers uh, front, there's still a shortage of drivers. But that has eased up quite a bit from the worst case. You don't see the pictures of the you know hundred ships out floating around out, out on the off the west coast as much anymore. And in fact, 
Yeah, we can look at things like vendor uh, vendor delivery times, right? So you can look and say from the time something was ordered, how long does it take to get delivered? Those vendor delivery times are starting to come down, which is evidence of that ice cube supply chain starting to melt. Uh, again, it's not fully back to normal yet. You know, we still have an issue with uh, computer chips, for example. You know, that caused havoc in the car market. Right. You know, new new uh, car new car manufacturers couldn't get the computer chips that were necessary to run all the electronics on the cars because they're very sophisticated now. So they couldn't build enough. The dealers had a shortage of cars available for sale on their lot. So what did consumers do? They went and bought used cars. Right. And at one point, used car prices were up over fifty percent from the prior year. That's mm-hmm. astonishing. Yeah. Now, we're seeing an improvement in dealer inventories, but it's not. It's just not fully back to normal, but we are starting to see used car prices start to come in a little bit. Yeah, that that's amazing. I mean, you're you're talking about the things that our clients are experiencing that I'm even experiencing. My wife's car blew up right in the first quarter of COVID, and we went car shopping. But we decided, you know what, we're not going to be driving as much. Let's not get a new car right now. And then when we got back into the car market, prices were. 25% greater than they were a year ago. So I, I can relate to that specifically. The other big word that I'm, I'm hearing among our clients and I'm seeing, it, it just drives me crazy to see this all the time on television without a really good description, is the R word, recession. Uh, should we be fearing, first of all, what is recession and should we be fearing a recession on the horizon? Okay, so the the definition that's thrown around in the mass media is two consecutive quarters of the US GDP or the the you know the economy contracting right so the first quarter of this year we did have a minus sign and the second quarter we were very well may have a minus sign as well for economic growth so by that definition everybody's going to say on TV oh we're in a recession it's actually a little more complicated than that. There's an organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research that decides when we're in a, in a recession or not. And we say they look at the three Ds, the depth of the contraction, the diffusion of it, meaning how broad is it, and then the duration or how long is this expected to last. Now, it's kind of interesting in the, in the first quarter, and we're probably going to see a little bit of this in the second quarter. But the reason we had a negative GDP number was companies had stocked up on inventory in the fourth quarter, right, in anticipation of a lot of sales, and a lot of that didn't get sold, right? So they didn't need to order more, and that was a that's a drag on the GDP. Now the good news of that is the fact that they were able to get inventory tells us again that supply chain that was frozen is thawing. That's really important. And then the other aspect that was a drag was we imported more goods from overseas, right? So again, that is, that's an issue that shows that demand is still there, but we were buying it from other countries that were manufacturing the thing. So to us, that's a, while it may be a negative GDP number, it's still speaking to pretty solid demand amongst consumers. And I think that's really important. Uh, should people fear it? Uh, less, probably less than you think. Right. What if you look at the the average recession that we've had post World War II, the stock market has generally declined about twenty five percent, which is exactly we got to around twenty four percent down on June sixteenth, which is the low in the cycle so far. So we've already the stock market has discounted a recession 
which we think is going to be relatively short and shallow if we have one. Again, if you go back to what a recession is not enough demand, what you typically will see in a recession is there are no jobs available and there's a lot of people looking for work. Right. And as I always say, if you look, if you walk down Main Street during a recession, you see a sign like going out of business sale or permanently right. closed. What sign do you see in the storefronts right now? Help wanted. Help wanted. Right. There are basically two times as many jobs available today than people that are unemployed. Right? so that does not look or feel like a real recession to us by any stretch of the imagination. And importantly, while the economy and stock prices are related. They are most definitely not twins. They're not even siblings. They're probably cousins at best. <laughs> and the reason I'm saying that is that if you look at the, the earnings for, for the S&P 500, for example, uh, even with all this talk of recession and doom and gloom, earnings this year are expected to be up about 6% versus last year. And the forecast for next year is up almost 11%. Right. So we're not having an earnings recession, which to us is much more important than whether we, quote unquote, are in a uh, in a recession in the economy, because the value of any business, right, if you own your own business or your, your family member owns a business, if they earn more money every year, the value of that business goes up. Absolutely. Ultimately, that's what drives values. And, and we're really seeing a slowing of earnings growth for sure, but we're not seeing earnings going down from the prior year. And that's that's an important distinction. You know, that that was uh, out of the ballpark as far as the explanation, because one of the things that I've been talking to clients about, and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, in previous recessions, you normally see two of the markers that you talked about, high unemployment and Fortune 500 companies struggling as far as their earnings. And we're not seeing either of the two. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. In fact, you'll typically see unemployment start to move up in advance of a recession. Because what will happen is the companies see their orders slowing and they start to downsize their staff really before the, the recession is officially declared. We're at 3.6% unemployment, right? We were at 3.5% before the pandemic. So we're basically running flat out, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we're really not seeing that. And again, the earnings growth should have slowed because if you think about 2021 comparing to 2020, well, 2020 was a you know, it was a disaster, right? There, there, there was a, the earnings were down forty eight percent for the S and P five hundred for obvious reasons. Twenty twenty one. Now you're comparing, you know, a recovery to really bad numbers. So the so the earnings growth was off the charts, and now we're at the point where things are settling back down. We're in this kind of mid single digits type earnings growth this year, which in, in normal times nobody be made be raising an eyebrow about, but because we're in this period where the Fed's raising rates and we have inflation and things are slowing, everybody's yelling recession when in fact, we're not really seeing that on the earnings front. Yeah. Every time you say something, it leads me to think about a question that I've heard from a client. And one of the questions uh, is regarding the Fed. And I don't believe people have a good uh, overall concept of what the Fed actually does as far as interest rates. Because we, we hear all the time the Fed is raising interest rates, but we don't know exactly what that means. And then the 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 second part of that question uh, I've heard from clients, well, could the Fed overdo it as far as raising interest rates and kick us into a recession? So could you cover th those two things? Yeah, so I'll, I'll even back up a little bit. So the Federal Reserve is responsible for two things. 
by act of Congress. There are two things and two things only. One is full employment, and the second is price stability. So if you think about full employment, that means keeping as many people working as possible. During the pandemic, we saw unemployment shoot up to 14%. And as I mentioned, we're back down to 3.6%. Why? The Federal Reserve lowered the Fed funds rate, and I'll back up to what that is in a second, to zero. Right? So what the Fed funds rate is, is overnight lending between financial institutions. Right? So it really doesn't, it's not directly related directly related to us at all. Um, indirectly, it is, right? Because it, the, as they're raising rates, the cost of funds between institutions is going up. And that ultimately does filter through somewhat into other interest rates. And we've seen that with mortgage rates, for example, that, that have gone from sub 3% to, to well, at, at the high point, almost 6%. Now they back down, back down a little bit. So what they're doing then is after hitting the gas pedal by putting rates to zero, they've taken their foot off the gas pedal. They're hitting the brakes. Uh, I would say they're not slamming the brakes on. For the first three rate hikes, they brought the rate from 0% to, to one and a half. It's widely expected that they're going to raise rates by another three quarters of a percent. That still brings us to two and a quarter percent, which by historical norms is average to maybe below average. So the market's expecting ultimately the Fed funds rate to get up to somewhere around three or three and a half percent. We can look at the called the Fed funds futures market and see what's actually getting priced in, in terms of expectations. So uh, the second thing that the second part of their dual mandate is price stability, which is controlling inflation. That's the obvious reason they've taken their foot off the gas pedal. We've been driving hundred miles an hour, our engines overheated. We need things <laughs> to cool down a little bit. And that's, and that's what the Fed's trying to do. They don't want to cause a recession. Now, have they ever done that? <laughs> yes. That's a different question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, as, as I say, the Federal Reserve is a little bit like a new, can be a little bit like a new car driver, is that they know what the gas pedal and the brake pedal do, and sometimes they don't hit it with the right sensitivity. That has happened in the past where they've raised rates too much and have actually caused the economy to slow down and move into a recession. I also think the Fed gets a lot of bad press because people say they never get it right. They've never been able to slow the economy without throwing it into recession. And that's just frankly not not true. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of examples of that. But 1994 is a really good example of that, because it's a year where we had better than 5% GDP growth in the prior year, 1993. We had the same thing here last year. Bonds and stock prices went down, and the Federal Reserve started to raise rates. In fact, they took the Fed funds rate then, which started at 3% in, 19, in December 1993. They took them up to 6% by February 1995. And both stocks and bonds stopped going down before the Fed was done raising rates because they're already anticipating foot off the brake and start to go back on the gas pedal. That's what it looks like in the Fed funds futures market as well, is that there, people are expecting rate cuts next year now, which right. is kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think that's why the market's start, starting to find some footing right now. Yeah. Well, we're we're coming close to our time, and I I, I want to ask you one last question uh, because we often hear from clients, well, Jude, what should I be doing? There's a psychological piece of investing, and when there's turbulent times, people feel almost like they should be changing their strategy or doing something. And it's hard to tell clients sometimes that we've done the analysis, we've put you in portfolios that match your risk tolerance and your goals. Uh, so when you're having those conversations with clients directly and they say to you, Glenn, what should I be doing right now? What, what do you tell them? 
June, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? When we set up the portfolios in the beginning, deciding how much to have in stocks and bonds or whatever else you have in there, it's in consideration of the fact that stock prices can go down, have periods of time like this where it's uncomfortable and unpleasant. Uh, but that's factored in when we build out the portfolios initially. Now, the motions creep in and that's what messes everybody up. So, you know, I've always said in practical terms that that stock market volatility is like turbulence on an airplane flight. You should expect it. Yeah. It's not fun. <laughs> you should expect it. And what's the worst thing to possibly do during turbulence on an airplane flight? <laughs> Take your seatbelt off and jump out of the plane. Exactly. Right? The same thing is true in the financial markets. The people that don't hit their financial goals are the people that bailed out in 2008, that, that bailed out during 2020, during COVID, and missed the market coming back. Whether we like it or not, stocks are a volatile asset class. A 20% correction on average happens every three years in the market. Right? That's just, so it's just a part of being an equity owner is that volatility. Bonds don't go down as much as they have so far this year, typically speaking. There are time periods where they have. But think of it this way, from a bond market perspective, the interest rates that we're able to get now on our bond portfolios are are quite a bit higher than we could get a year and a half ago. So we're actually able to, to generate a nice stream of interest payments off of the bond portfolios because rates have gone up. So to us, you know, from stocks, if you're buying high quality stocks, whether we have a recession or not, these companies, you know, they're not going out of business, right? This right. isn't their first time that they've seen a recession. They may go down in stock price in the interim. So you know, the the joke around the office is, you know, stocks are the only thing in the world that can go on sale by 20%. And nobody wants to buy them. <laughs> right. But, but if you're buying high quality companies at a discounted price, that's a really good time to 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 stick to at least the, the bare minimum stick to your plan. And, and then bonds, again, with rates higher, can now be a more, more meaningful contributor to the perform, overall performance of the account. So stay the course is the answer. Don't let your uh, heart interfere with your brain and, and your financial decisions because that leads to bad outcomes. Well, I, I can't I can't thank you enough. I mean, even for me, I've been in the industry 25 years. You said a few things that were educational for me that I'm going to use in, in, in my presentation. And so I hope uh, our clients and friends that are listening learned a little bit, got some value out of our discussion today. I also want to thank you for being such a great partner with us. Many of our clients are in Clark portfolios, and we've had the ability to talk directly to some of your uh, portfolio managers and, and analysts, which is a great added value to, to to a lot of our clients. So thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We hope to have you back uh, sometime in the future and talk some more and uh, and get even further explanations than what you've done here today for us. Thank you very much. Well, fantastic podcast. Thank you so much for being on here, Glenn. Uh, Jude as well. Great job. Boy, there's a lot of really educational information in this episode. So as always, if you have not subscribed to the show, please consider doing so. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the major platforms. You can also just find it at Jude's website, planwiseretirefreepodcast.com. That's planwiseretirefreepodcast.com. Or stop by the main website at centrustfs.com. Dot com if you need some help. As always, before you do anything, take any action. Always check with a qualified professional like Jude before you take any action. And Jude, thanks so much, my friend. I'll, I'll see you in uh, two weeks. We'll do another episode. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And so uh, very much thank you to Glenn Dorsey for being here as well. And we'll see you next time right here on Plan Wise Retire Free. 
The preceding program is sponsored by Jude Wilson, who is solely responsible for its content. The views expressed are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views of Clark Capital. Investors must make their own decisions based on their specific investment objectives and financial circumstances. Economic and market forecast presented herein reflect a series of assumptions and judgments as of the date of this presentation and are subject to change without notice. Before investing, an investor should consider their investment goals and risk comfort levels and consult with their investment advisor and tax professional.